the office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Clearly, we've got a lot to talk about today. You've all been following the news. You've seen the, shall we say, unrest in the House of Representatives and the vacancy of now the Speaker of the House with the end of the tenure of uh, the the Speaker of the House, which I never thought I'd say. In fact, has never happened in the history of our republic. It's never happened? I, I, saw, I thought I saw something like since 1907. No, it's, it's never up. happened. Wow. It's never happened. So K-Mac is out. Uh, and rather than starting with our sort of usual Thursday episodes where we go through and have some fun and read some five stars, we thought we'd just get right into it. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun on the back end of this episode. But on the front end, I think y'all tuned in for the same reason. So we might as well just get yeah. right to yeah. it. Uh, Michael, I know that you had some... Uh, media that you had been observing and wanted to help sort of frame up this discussion. Why don't you help walk us through it? Yeah, I mean, I think for everybody listening out there, you want to understand the motivations of the people who made this happen. Of course, every Democrat voted to oust Kevin McCarthy, but there were a handful of House Republican members, um, you know, who really orchestrated this entire thing, Matt Gates chiefly among them. Um, and just sort of watching a lot of the media uh, after that, that vote um, you know, I was really impressed with what uh, Brian Kilmeade at Fox did in sort of like trying to suss out and interrogate the position of these handful of Republicans mm-hmm. and why they chose to oust uh, McCarthy. Uh, he had on uh, Congressman Tim uh, Burchett from uh, Tennessee. Let's play shot one. Congressman, you were one of the eight. So Speaker McCarthy had 96 percent approval rating, but that wasn't good enough for you. Do you feel good about your vote? Well, I don't know about 96 uh, percent. Well, they I think voted you need for to it. ask the people. Well, I don't work for the people in Congress. I work for the people of the Second District of Tennessee. Yeah, no. So it's interesting. And, and I mean, like, look, I can't disagree with his position there. I mean, he's he's in Congress because people voted for him back home. So it's his job to represent those people mm-hmm. in Washington. The thing that's interesting is unlike the Senate, you know, the House, the vote of the speaker is by a majority of all the members, not a majority of your conference. Well, like. What is Kevin McCarthy's actual approval rating? Because you hear from a lot of these people and they say, oh, well, he's letting us down. He's capitulating to Biden. and he's making these deals. And, you know, conservatives are upset. Um, he did this deal with with Biden on on the debt ceiling. And for a lot of these uh, conservatives, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back and was the thing that instigated all of these actions we've seen recently with the CR and ultimately the vote to, to oust McCarthy, but it's sort of detached from the reality of the politics here. You know, let's go to uh, shot two here. Uh, So this is from uh, Daily Mail. After that debt ceiling deal with Biden, Kevin McCarthy's approval went up 10 points. (laughs) I mean, he's he's far and away the most popular leader in Congress right now. Yeah. And the the most popular 
speaker, when he was a sitting speaker, the most popular speaker in generations. It's right. not typically a place of high popularity amongst the American people. Yeah. Well, and look, I have no problem with Tim Burchett and, you know, conservative members of the House representing the constituents that sent them there. Good for you. But that's not how you make a House majority. You know, Tim Burchett's district votes 67 percent for Republicans. Like it's not really representative of the country writ large. Let's go to shot three and show you the 18 Republicans who are in Biden districts. See ya. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. I hope it was worth it because all of these people have a much harder time winning an election when you do dumb shit like this. Yeah. So I I think t table set here for two things. One is the reason that this was made possible is because of a motion to vacate a rule that McCarthy reluctantly had to accept when he was trying to get the speaker's office in the first place. Yeah. Uh, for those of you with a, you know, a little bit of historical background, Pelosi ensured that she didn't have to go through this. The rule was not that a single member could bring up a motion to vacate because she knew it was an un ungovernable situation. And, you know, look, the House of Representatives in the United States Senate are not like a president or a governor. Yeah. It, you got people representing all kind of diffuse, different interests throughout the country. And if you're lucky enough to cobble together a majority, it means that you're bringing people from different backgrounds with different perspectives all under one house. So you can throw a common agenda together yeah, and move yeah, it forward. Let's let's be more specific about that. And if, if you aren't on our YouTube right now and you're listening to this on audio, Highly recommend you subscribe to the YouTube so you can see all this information for yourself. But what we have on screen is the Biden district Republicans. You have folks like Anthony Desposito. That is, uh, he won in New York four. George uh, Santos in three. For for, <laughs> for Biden, uh, that's a Biden margin of 14 points in that district. Mike Lawler, uh, Biden district of 10 points. And you just go down the list, 8.8 .8 points for Lori Chavez Dreamer. Um, Mike Garcia, 12-point Biden district Republican. He won that. Okay, so there's our majority right there. Well, S more than. I mean, deeply into the right. minority at this point if you were to lose all of them. But right. I, I guess the point is is that there's actually no way to run a legislative body if you don't have at least 10 people in your party pissed off at you at all times. Yeah. Because there is a job of governing and then there is the job of, of the political side. And the political side is to make sure that everybody's interests are represented enough where they can make the case for to the American people that they're all collectively trying to do the right thing, right? Well, I, I, look, I think doing the right thing is one thing because the politics of this suck. I think we've been pretty clear here on the front end. The politics of this suck. The the guy who was House Speaker and his approval rating went up 10 points after he made this deal. You just kicked out of office. You got, you know, you got all of these frontline members, 18 House Republicans representing Biden districts that are going to have very, very tough reelections now. So it's not about politics. Maybe it is about principle let's play shot four i'm also upset at the fact we're 33 trillion dollars in debt and the Kevin value McCarthy's of the dollar fault? it could be he needs to accept some responsibility didn't he have an eight percent cut offered over the over that in that continuing resolution bill and the rate of growth but you're not looking at, at at the 33 trillion and that's just and that's 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 really just peanuts compared to the 33 trillion that we've run up so I'm so fucking tired of this 33 trillion talking point. So fucking tired of it. Because as you've said on the show, Holmes, multiple times, we're talking about 30% of the budget, discretionary spending. We're not talking about the drivers of debt. We're not talking about Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. We're not talking about any of that shit. Like, like it's like these 
House Republicans, this handful of folks on the on the floor who ousted Kevin McCarthy are complaining, you know, they're trying to dry the ocean and they're pissed off. He didn't give them enough paper towels. It's <laughs> fucking absurd. It doesn't make any sense. It's, well, it's so bu- it's, fucking it's, dishonest. It, 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 it's bullshit. And it is dishonest because there is no principle in this. They're, they're not seriously concerned about the national debt. All those guys were there when they rung up eight, seven, eight trillion dollars of national debt during the Trump administration. Yeah. You know, Matt Gates was voting for CRs left and right. Yeah. All of a sudden now it's an existential problem, the likes of which we need to throw a Speaker of the House for the first time in American history. The issue is if you hear anyone, and I mean anyone, talking about the national debt, and they don't mention the fact that 70 plus and grows every year of our national debt are Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and service interest on our national debt. That's 70% of the budget. And yet, all of, I think all, maybe with the exception of one or two, have all endorsed Donald Trump, yeah. whose first election ad, first election ad, was attacking Ron DeSantis for the idea that perhaps our, our entitlements need some reforming. Yeah, Lee, let's put up shot five. Tweet from uh, Team Trump attacking Ron DeSantis for trying to restructure entitlements like Social Security and Medicare. This guy is winning the Republican primary by 40 points, right? So he doesn't want to talk about that 70 percent. He doesn't want to do it at all. No, and it's it's just such when you say it's just drops in the ocean. It it really is. It's it's so what, what it's so fucking cynical. Like this is like nihilistic politics where people just say whatever they want and the voters don't punish them for it i I don't think it's completely nihilistic it is i think i think there's a couple ways i think there's a couple interesting things i think you brought up the point like like that member brought up where he said that well i represent the people in my district yeah i think that's what it ultimately comes down to is if you feel your district is like hey we sent you to congress and our number one issue is we don't want Kevin McCarthy, a speaker, if that's their issue, I think you got to do it. I think, I mean, if that is your district speaking, sure, you got to do it. Here's, here. I think I think what Holmes brought up of like that K-Mac was stuck in a position where he had to put in that's the this issue. thing. I think that's like you were always, always, this was always going to happen. It's no, just a question no of No speaker when. ever from this point forward should ever agree to be speaker yeah, of the house never. with a motion to vacate no. with, like this. Because, because it is impossible to govern Unless you have 10 people. And for those of you who are like, well, he wasn't doing the conservative thing. Okay. Let's just say that he did like some radically conservative thing, which, by the way, is almost impossible with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. But let's just say he did. And the 18 people that you put up on the screen had a huge problem with that because they are all in Biden plus 10 districts. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that filed it. And they kicked him out. Yeah. Is that a better outcome? Yeah. Would you have liked that? Is that a conservative outcome? Would you have liked that? If, If those 18... If those 18 moderate Republicans joined with 200 House Democrats and threw out a Republican Speaker of the House who did conservative things, would that be a problem? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it all is the crux of this all. You brought it up is it really comes down to when he allows that motion to vacate to exist. It's like if you owned a business, right? If you own a, a huge company and you've got your your managers under you and then you've got your you know new jobs new folks that you just hired below that if you said to all the like people you just hired yesterday that like listen if you think i'm doing a bad job as ceo you, you can fire me today it's just enti- how are you gonna run that place <laughs> man if it's, someone shows up and they're like, I'm tired today, yeah. I'm not coming in. You're like, oh, it's important you do. And he's like, you're fired, amigo. Like, it, it requires tough decisions. Done. And I guess my point is, is it doesn't matter if it comes off the right or comes off the left. Right. That, that piece of it 
is an ungovernable situation. Yeah. And you know that. As a member of Congress, you know that. Yeah. And so when you invoke this and you join with Democrats in order to do it, you know damn well that all you're doing is showing the outside world that you have complete dysfunction. And I'll add one more thing. If you're wondering how it is that you can have a geriatric president who has absolutely no grasp on reality and no ability to actually articulate any vision whatsoever, a vice president who is as popular as stage three cancer, a, a democratic agenda that literally the American people point by point are saying, fuck you. Yeah. No, we don't want it. Inflation through the roof, the economic approval, border wide open. You got all kinds of problems yeah. across was, this was country. Was it the same day or the day before that the poll came out that said Republicans have never had a higher rating like yeah. in history? So let's screw it up. But, but if you are wondering how it's possible to lose to those guys, ladies and gentlemen, you should have tuned into the House of Representatives yesterday. Yeah. Because that is exactly why. If you look back in the 2022 midterms, Republicans won the arguments lock mm. yeah. stock and barrel they won the economic argument they won the immigration argument they won the crime argument the american people agreed with them on all of that and and, and they didn't vote for them and the reason they didn't vote for them is they're a little scared of it you yeah. feel like they can't govern they're right. worried that these people are a little crazy and that ultimately they could do let, shit like this because like a lot let of me, a lot of the candidates in the midterms got stuck in this trap republican candidates of where they had to get bundled in with saying that like Listen, folks, elections are rigged. So okay. then voters are like, well, if you if you think voting doesn't matter, I guess I just won't vote for you. <laughs> let, let me let let me demonstrate yeah. that with this. Let me demonstrate that with our next clip here. Here's Donald Trump on the debt ceiling. Let's go to uh, shot six. I say to the Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to have to do a default. And I don't believe they're going to do a default because I think the Democrats will absolutely cave because you don't want to have that happen. But it's better than what we're doing right now because we're spending money like drunken sailors. So you know just to expression? be clear, Mr. President, you think the U.S. should default if the White House does not agree to the spending cuts Republicans well, are you might as well do it now because you'll do it later because we have to save this country. Our country is dying. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people, by very stupid people. You once said that Using the, the using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh, just could not happen. You you said that when you were in the That's Oval when Office. I was president. To, so why is it different now that you're out of office? Because now I'm not president. <laughs> yeah, that is the that is the cynicism, the nihilism of our it's, politics. But that's today. important. I think it's important. The it, first thing that Donald Trump did when important. he was president of the United States was cut a debt ceiling deal with the Democrats and a funding deal and a deal on Harvey aid. That is what Donald Trump did when he was president of the United States. And now that he's out. He says we should default on our debt as a country. <laughs> Republicans need to hold the line. And that's how we're going to we're going to just really just hold the line and, and then everything will change. I, I think the approach, you know, let, let it's him fake. Let it's him fake. Cook. Let's play chicken. It's fucking fake. <laughs> and let him know that we're just playing chicken. No, it's just cynical <laughs> politics for fundraising. And I think it's best encapsulated by what Garrett Graves said on the House floor on Tuesday. Let's go to shot eight. I keep wondering, what is going on? Are we redefining what conservative is? What's going on in this country today? What's going on in this body? We have Freedom Works Heritage, Chip Roy and Jim Jordan say something's conservative, and these folks say it's not, and they're right. And all of a sudden, my phone keeps sending text messages. Text messages saying, hey, give me money. Oh, look at that. Oh, look, give me money. I filed the motion to vacate. 
using official actions, official actions to raise money. It's disgusting. It's what's disgusting about Washington. Yeah. What a great clip. Right. And I like that for the folks on YouTube, you can see that the Dow's like going down. They're like, oh, yeah. no, these people really don't know what they're doing. I mean, the, the Dow crashed yesterday. Yeah. While this was going on. Right. I and mean, people... it reminded me a lot of the shitty situation in 08 when the House of Representatives oh, was yeah. screwing around during the financial crisis doing stuff like this, frankly. Well, everybody talks about the swamp yeah. in this town and the uniparty. Let me tell you what the real swamp is. It's stunts like this to raise money. That's what it is. And it, it, it feeds into the polarization of our politics, the negative, um, you know, the, the the negative partisanship in our politics. It makes it so we can't get anything done in this town. And all the incentives are aligned for people to raise money off lying to you. I think it's really disgusting. And I think Garrett Graves is absolutely right. So, so my takeaway, and I think this is, you know, a key thing that I highly recommend everyone try and understand because yes, there may be some like logic to these arguments, but I think there's something to be said about the attitude. Like you saw how... The audience, even though Trump was like, well, I was president then. Now I'm not president, you know, and he gets laughs. But yeah. you get the audience with you. I think, you know, the but then attitude we can't be matches. surprised. We can't be surprised when our attitude... voters don't actually believe in anything. No, like, when we when, when fun, our here, people don't believe in here's anything. a fun example. So our like politicians don't believe in anything. Patrick McHenry is like the interim speaker right now. And what's the first thing he did? Was he took Nancy Pelosi's like hideaway office. He took Steny Hoyer's hideaway office. It's like. Will that help make some kind of like a budget deal? No, but it's the attitude of like, hey, look, right. you're going to know that the Republicans are running shit. OK, well, you know, and you're going to have to start feeling pain. Like you see all these journals talking about like, oh, my God, Nancy Pelosi is currently attending the funeral for Dianne Feinstein. How insensitive is this to take away her spare extra office that she has? There were people during COVID who couldn't go to their family yeah. funerals, like shed a tear for those folks, not for this millionaire Nancy Pelosi attending another millionaire's, you know, funeral in San Francisco uh, look, instead of being in the house where like her job is. It's I, like, I feel no sympathy for that. I don't, but I don't, I don't think anybody else nobody does. does. But the attitude of being like, we are done with this. The gloves are off. Yeah. Like you have to recognize. But that's not what this, shot and this is feel not, this is not the gloves are off. This is, I just took up a. a a pistol loaded one into the chamber and put it in my own mouth. I right. think I that's think, what this. I is. think Kmac would have done himself some good if on day one he'd have done that. Let him know. I, that it like all okay, been on I'm water. Here. It would I'm all have been water know. under the bridge. It didn't matter, the, the, dude. None, this is it, Calvin Ball. The rules. Matters. The rules don't really apply. They're making it up as they go along. Yeah, let, let's play Matt Gates back in 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 2018. Remember, he you know he's the guy behind this entire thing to, to motion. Uh, to uh, vacate the chair and kick Kevin McCarthy out. Let's see uh, Matt Gates in 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 2018. Shot nine. Here's the problem. If we take Paul Ryan off the field right now, instead of being able to finish strong in the 115th Congress, we will shatter into a bunch of factions fighting against each other for power. We got enough of that in Washington already. Paul Ryan can be a caretaker of the speakership. We can have a leadership election. We can go into the midterm strong. And I don't think that pushing him out early, if he hey, doesn't want to hey, go, is hey, in any way advantageous. Oh. That's weird. Why well, he, he just went ahead and did it? Oh, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan's apparently was more important yes. to that Republican conference. That can't be true because Donald Trump calls him a rhino every day. Yeah, I wonder how we square that circle. We can't because they make up the rules as they go. I, I think I look here. Here's what we're trying to communicate to you. And I look. I understand what you're saying, Smug, about an attitude and about a a way of communicating as a Republican conference that gives people confidence that you're actually holding these guys' feet to the fire. I agree. I think there there is an element of truth to all of that. But I will say this as a voter: be very, very careful about your information flow, 
Be very, very careful about who is telling you what. The next time you hear somebody say, well, we got to defund the Ukrainian effort to balance our national debt, know that they are lying in the worst possible way. I don't care where you stand on Ukraine, fund it, defund it, whatever. That's not the point. The point is we're talking about $33 trillion that is going to 40 by the end of this, well, it'll probably be like 50 by the end of this decade. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with anything that they're talking about. They're talking about a discretionary spending pot that de- deals with like roads and education. There's some defense spending and stuff like that. What the real problem is and all of that stuff is our entitlement programs. And if you care about the national debt even a bit, you would have come into this Congress and said, we need to address that. None of them did that. Yeah. None of them did that. In fact, none of them did it for four years under Donald Trump either. So you have to listen very carefully. And when you're upset about like, oh, these Republicans are the ones holding you down. Have a look at the Democrats. They basically have a say in this too. And I I was really stunned by the Republicans who were like, God, can you believe those Democrats? They all voted to oust. We should be blaming those Democrats. Oh, they they acted exactly how we knew they would. And they they should. That's legislative politics. If you have an opportunity to knife the other side and get what you want done and take a scalp in the process, you fucking do it. And they did it. I think that was the happiest I've ever seen Ilhan Omar when she's not in the room with her brother. Like She was beaming watching this happen. They are jumping for joy and... I'd be remiss, remiss if I didn't point out uh, that a podcast on the other side of the aisle, Pod Save America, uh, uh, you know, this is the Obama bros yeah. uh, podcast. All these guys are big boosters of Joe Biden. They're fucking thrilled at this. Let's go to shot 10. He is. This is fun. Let's just let's just enjoy this moment of fun before the chaos continues. And it somehow <laughs> redounds to a terrible catastrophe that we're not quite yet understanding. <laughs> but at this moment, but at, at this, this moment, moment, very fun. It, look, Matt Gates is a pig in shit. Yes, he is loving he every fucking it. moment of this. And then he's going to the floor and giving speeches that you could just copy and paste into Democrats. He's cutting ads for the Biden campaign. <laughs> I on, love it. Thank you, Matt Gaetz. Un- yeah, so uh, uh, they're loving it. In-kind contribution to the Biden campaign. You know? Well, good, good job, Gates. It's quite obvious. I mean, it's quite obvious. Dude, this guy might even leave Congress and go run for governor of Florida. He doesn't give a shit. No, he doesn't care if he burns the place down on the way out. In fact, it probably helps him in his reelection. No, but if you think if you think for one moment that this was some sort of a pious idea and this is somehow upholding conservative principles, you need to also understand the backstory and the relationships with all of these people. You need to understand that Matt Gates is so pissed at the fact that Kevin McCarthy did not shut down an ethics investigation into him, that he's texted people all across the uh, the house about his his furor over this for months and and you can't tell me that that wasn't the primary motivation you look at like nancy mace for an ex- for example she doesn't fit into this cadre of people who are concerned of uh, conservative items she felt like that kevin mccarthy made a promise to her about dealing with quote-unquote women's issues can i add when she was on ruthless she basically told the world her situation of like this is important to me. This better be paid attention to, yep. or there's going to be hell to pay. And so ev- everyone's like surprised yesterday. And I was like, boy, you can really tell when someone doesn't listen to Ruthless when they're shocked by that. Right. So all of these things are like personality issues. And I, I guess my my deal is if we get to a point where we're willing to throw overboard the last bastion of protecting freedom in this country because we're upset that some we felt like somebody misled us about something and you want to completely ditch the entire 
operation because you felt like the ethics investigation into you is unfair and somebody should have done something about it. Get the fuck out of Congress. Well, if, you have if, absolutely if no business allowed, in a legislative body. No I, I, business. I think it goes back to like if you allow someone to have that power. As soon as he he cut the deal of like, okay, I will let you be able to decide if you want to get rid of me at any moment. That's the mistake, man. You can never let anyone... Because here's the thing is, if you let someone have the opportunity to have power over you, they're going to exercise it every time. Yeah. Well, I think think there is a lot of truth to that. I will say this. I remember us doing really stupid things uh, when I was in, in the Senate. And I remember thinking like, this is it. And, you know, like, for example, when they shut down the government because they thought that Obama was going to somehow repeal his signature accomplishment. Yeah, like, we're going to defund Obamacare. Like one of the dumbest tactics just, in, the, just fighting. in the history of congressional strategy. Um, and it didn't happen. And they shut down the government and all that crap. And uh, Republican approval rating was like a 15%. I was like, well, there goes that election. We were able to sort of recobble together a coalition and move forward. And I think that's what House Republicans are trying to do here. Mm-hmm. There are some really good names of people who are elevated. Like Kevin McCarthy's not the only one that can run the House, clearly. He is going to leave a gaping hole on the political side if that happens. I pray if anybody wants a House majority, you better beg him to keep his political efforts underfoot because nobody can do that like he can. He needs to his fundraising and getting money to candidates. He yeah. needs to he needs to keep doing that. But if they've surfaced names like Jim Jordan, I would love if Jim Jordan was Speaker of the House. Tom Emmer has been on the program a couple of times. Jim Jordan's been on the program. Steve Scalise been on, been on the program. All of these people I think would do a very good job of running the House of Representatives. I hope to hell that none of them agree to do the job with that yeah same rule yeah you cut that deal it's gonna that motion to vacate thing you're gonna because you cannot govern a legislative body without 10 people at some point being pissed off they may not be on the right they may be on the left or they could be just personality problems of three or four people who've gotten themselves into ethics hot water and they hold you accountable for it yeah and that's i think the problem these guys need to grow up they need to mature everybody needs to figure out how to make a case to the American people that you are a responsible governing body. We got 12 months. We got 12 months. The election is going to be here before you know it. Yeah. All right. Well, I I think we've heard enough from us on the controversy of vacating the speaker's chair in the House. And I thought it was a good idea to bring in, you know, an expert who's got a little inside information to share with our audience. Congressman Max Miller, how are you? I've been doing a lot better. (laughs) I can tell you that much. Uh, You know, it's crazy when eight members of your own party, but with the majority of Democrats, yet over 200 Republicans are then called rhinos. Yeah. It's unbelievable how individuals within our conference have messaged this to say that they're they're conservative crusaders when right now we are closer to a coalition government that we've ever seen and a Democrat speaker because of the actions that my colleague from Florida, Mr. Gates, took just yesterday. It's wild to me. Before we get into all that, I want to make sure our audience is familiar with you in your background and your perspective in all of this, because it, look, it ain't like you're a rhino. Yeah. You know? 
So tell us a little bit uh, about your background. Yeah, no, and I really appreciate that. So I started with President Trump in February of 2016, and I was one of the first 10 or 12 staffers that were on his campaign. Mm -hmm. And I did it because I believed in his message about being a MAGA conservative, about taking care of the American first uh, agenda and the American people. And I fundamentally believed in that, and that's why I joined his campaign. Throughout that process, we won. I got into the White House. Two years in, I was the youngest director of advance uh, in White House history, and then I became a senior advisor to him. So I know President Trump very well, just as my colleague Matt Gates does. And yeah. I also talked to President Trump three times yesterday, and I'm sure we can get into that later to go ahead and to really cut through the misinformation that a lot of my colleagues on my side of the aisle that have been really you know, familiarizing the American people with, that's just simply not true. Right, right. And I appreciate that. Before we get to it, though, you've brought tribute. And we love that here on the Ruthless Variety program. It's here in, in a, a black plastic bag. I got to see what it is. Well, look, I tried to make it as cryptic as possible. <laughs> and then, look, you know, you bring in a black plastic bag. No one knows what you're going to bring in right. here. But so I got to tell you, it's my honor to, uh, I guess, to unveil this or unfurl it. So let's go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. It's a little it. bit different uh, from what you guys usually get here. But I thought this was only fitting. So what I did is oh. I brought eight four logos <laughs> for the eight craziest Republicans in the Republican Party who decide to vote with Democrats <laughs> in order to oust the Speaker of the United States. States of representatives so they can all get a little bit crazy and right now if you'll join me I'll crack open a sip of one of these bad boys and we can pay tribute to wow. the hate who screwed over the entire government and the Republican Party I gotta say dude this is the most unique uh, offer of tribute we've ever seen in the ruthless variety program I mean this is incredible well eight for eight there uh, for, uh, watermelon for loco 12% alcohol by volume well, don't mind if I do. Here we go. Fruit punch it is. What'd you go with? Yeah, this is the watermelon. Ah, I have a yeah. better choice. I'm probably going to pay for this later. <laughs> Here we go. I'm a little concerned about the sugar. Here, let's, hey, let's cheers. cheers that. Oh, yeah, no, same. Oh. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> mm. Whew. Yeah, it tastes just as awful <laughs> as the way that I felt yesterday when eight of our Republicans betrayed us. So. So, so take us all there. You're there. This is all going down. There's going to be the vote, uh, you know, to vacate the speaker's chair. What What's going through your mind? What sort of conversations are you having with, you know, your colleagues on the floor? Yeah, I mean, we've talked to a, a wide range of people and I'm new in Congress. I'm a freshman. I did work in the White House and, and know a little bit about this city, but not enough. And so when I look at everything that the group of eight has done to Speaker McCarthy, what more did they want? We just put forward the most conservative 30-day stopgap bill tied to H.R. 2, which would have secured our southern border to actually give it to the Senate, stick them with it, and to put Biden in a bad position. And 21 Republicans sunk that piece of legislation. I mean, this is exactly what has been happening. They want nothing more than chaos. Yeah. I had the opportunity to talk to Matt. Uh, and yesterday when he was on the House floor, and as he continuously talked about how we're $33 trillion in debt, I agree with him this country spent too much money from Republican presidents to Democrat presidents. No doubt we have failed the American people when it comes to our pocketbook. But if you're really serious about cutting where we are, then you're going to go ahead and have to talk about things that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. Which is Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security that make up 76% of the mandatory spending budget. Because yes. I don't remember a time, and I'll wrap, that we've ever saved our national debt by messing around with discretionary spending. Never. Never. No, dude, and I'm just so glad you said that because it's it's I think it's the fundamentally fraudulent part of this entire debate. 
And I feel like so many people in conservative media have fallen victim to this as well. In they get suckered in on, you know, uh, snippets they see from the House floor or interesting messaging ideas uh, from from these eight um, to be like, well, yeah, well, they're they're the serious ones. And in reality, the problem is orders of magnitude bigger than what they say is their beef with this con continuing resolution. And my message to them is like. Put on the green visor, get out a fucking calculator, and explain to me how this is going to put a dent, a single dent, in that $33 trillion. Well, even we can go all the way back, right? Matt Gates introduced this motion to vacate, and we asked him a very pointed question in conference. And we said, what's your plan? Who do you want to go ahead and see as speaker? Right. Do you know what he said? No. He said, I don't want to truncate the process. Do you know what that tells me and every member of Congress? You don't have a plan. This is a personal vendetta that goes back several years within Congress from when you got here for Speaker McCarthy and a nasty ethics investigation that I don't think is going to bode so well for Mr. Gates. There's a lot more of this that's in it for him. And the sad thing is, I really hope the American people see that right now, because of his actions, we're closer to a Democrat speaker. The, the southern border is wide open. Can't do a darn thing about it. The economy is going to be in shambles. And I thought people like the eight would have learned their lesson last time we shut the government down under the Trump administration when we got nothing. What are we going to get out of this? And I don't even know what they're asking for. Yeah. Gosh, it's just got to be so frustrating to be there right now. I mean, look, I, I, I'm a pragmatic individual, and it, it's funny to be called a rhino, right? And right. Being with a Trump uh, from the very beginning to the very end and still speaking with him yesterday three times. And, 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 and I would also point out for our listeners, like, you're a guy like us from the Midwest. Like, you're from, uh, like, the Cleveland area, Yeah, I grew right? up in Cleveland, Ohio my right. whole life. You're not some, some fucking swamp creature who's here railing against a guy who's trying to change the system. Like, you're barely familiar with the system. No. What I, are you, 35 Yeah, I, I turned 35 in November. I'm, there, I'm yeah. I'm one of the youngest members of Congress, and, and from everything that I can see, it's very easy to come up here and to look at the serious people who are willing to do the work, yeah. and then look at the people who are up here only to get on TV and only to be here for social media clicks. Right. And I believe the American people can see through that. But the biggest problem, and I don't mean to keep on harping on it, is that we do have a group of individuals that want to sow nothing but chaos and if, you know usually on a sports team if you have someone that's cancerous you cut them out yeah unfortunately we can't do that within the republican party of congress but we can certainly advocate on the other side maybe to not have these individuals return we're here to govern we're not here to play political games we're not here to introduce a motion to vacate i'm here to do the work on behalf of the seventh district of ohio and these political stunts and that's all that they are are going to gum up congress and actually work for the american people it's pathetic it's so upsetting to me and Donald Trump said as much, right? Like he he put out a statement as all this was going down on the floor. And, you know, I mean, you can you can certainly criticize Donald Trump for the spending that happened under his administration. And, you know, I I've done it as well. And I think he's been sort of hypocritical on some of this stuff um, when it comes to saying, oh, we're going to default on the debt ceiling and all of that. Because he didn't do that when he was president, when like he had the responsibility to govern as president of the United States. But like, you know, his message is simple. With all that is going on with Joe Biden, with an open border, with inflation out of control, UAW strike, UAW strike, and we're fighting amongst ourselves on a motion to vacate the speaker. It's like Allen Iverson. It's like you're talking about practice. And do you want to know what's funny about this? 
So, I, and I said it earlier, you know, I, and this isn't going to be, uh, and I want to ex- make sure my language is uh, appropriate Oh, here. it doesn't have to be here. But uh, this isn't a dick measuring contest between right. me and Matt Gates. But what I can tell you is I have just as good a relationship uh, with the president as he does. And I spoke with the president three times yesterday. And do you know what I can tell you? When I got off the phone with him and I said, I will go down to speak for on behalf of Speaker McCarthy, and I am going to say that the MAGA conservatives still stand behind Speaker McCarthy. I just got off the phone with President Donald John Trump. That should tell every conservative what they need to know. Yeah. Right? That is the misinformation. Matt Gates talks to President Trump just like many other people do, except he always paints it in broad strokes. Do you want to know why? Because he always wants to keep you guessing. He keeps you guessing because that's the way that he can control the media narrative and for the media to go ahead and defeat into the literal and nefarious actions that he does. Because that benefits the media. Absolutely. Right? Like they don't want us to win. No, not at so, all. So it's it's one of those situations we call in the media and for our listeners this is um something you'll see quite frequently is the media wants a storyline that's going to reinforce their preconceived notion of the way the politics works. So if somebody like Matt Gates goes in there and, and sort of intimates that this is President Trump's opinion of the situation, yeah. it's it's what we call too good to check. Well, They're not going to try to figure it that's out right. because they would rather feed into the chaos that's happening in D.C. All this guy does is he will take a true social with no context, put it on his Twitter, and then cloak himself under the... The, the cloak of MAGA. And I want to make something clear. I am all about President Donald J. Trump. I've supported him. I've worked for the man for six years. I believe in President Trump for a couple of reasons. One, his policy. Two, his vision. And three, that he was a disruptor. I liked all three of those things because they happen to work well for the country. Matt Gates only likes President Donald J. Trump because that's the closest to power that he will ever get. That is his problem. He has no plan. He has no vision. That's why he introduced this motion without a replacement. And he wants pure and utter chaos. I mean, he is literally the biggest ally the Democrat Party has, and I really hope Republicans across the entire conference in this country realize the recklessness that he just put us in because of Matt Gates. Yeah. And you know this, I'm going to swallow too many buses yeah. at the end of this Congress or at the end of this fiscal year because he just gummed up the 45-day CR to get through the appropriations process. So help our listeners understand that component here, because that's what's sort of lost in all of this is the negotiating power that the Republican conference had in the House. Paint us a picture of what the rest of the year looks like for Republicans now. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I mean, right now we, we need to find a speaker and we need to coalesce and put together an agenda. And yeah. my biggest concern uh, from a lot of my colleagues from the spectrum of our conference is that Matt Gates has now eaten up almost six days of the 45-day CR stopgap measure that we put in place to finish the appropriations process. We wanted to do that to show the American people for the first time in this country's history how your tax dollars are being spent so that you can have open debate and dialogue on the House floor to actually see what's going on instead of cramming omnibuses or too many buses down of our throats through the appropriations packages. And furthermore than that, Kevin McCarthy is the first speaker to do that in several decades and actually in order to try to push that through with 70 percent of the discretionary appropriations already passed. Chuck Schumer isn't doing his job of picking it up. Yeah. I mean, if a lot of Republicans want to be frustrated, look to the Senate for not picking up all the conservative legislation that we've passed and have passed more than the first two years of a lot of other Republican administrations previously. Yeah, it is frustrating when you control one chamber in a third of government and you don't get everything you want all the time. And like in periods of time like that, it's all the more important that the conference is unified around one 
single agenda. My concern here is you end up just with a Groundhog Day situation where we just sort of replay this over the course of the next three, I mean, to the end of the year with this infighting that doesn't accomplish anything. Well, you've got to change conference rules. And that is one of the first things. So if, if someone is calling me right now and they're saying, hey, Representative Miller, we would like your support for speaker. And a few people already have. I have told them this. I have said that um, I want the motion to vacate back up to a majority of majority at 112. I've told them that I want to repopulate the steering committee because I believe deference was given to individuals who were negotiated something to support Kevin in order to get a committee spot, which helps their trajectory in Congress. I believe they should be removed from those committees to restore order. Uh, and, and I believe we need someone who is not going to tolerate the 8 to 21 to upend what we are doing. I mean, the debt ceiling, whether people out there think it's a winner or not, it's a win. When you have 175 environmentalist activist groups come out against you because of the NEPA reforms that you codified right. for the permitting process right. for oil and natural know gas. Know me by, the, by my enemies. Right. That's a win. Social <laughs> work requirements. Yeah. When's the last time we were able to re-implement that? A border package that we actually got passed? Speaker McCarthy's getting a bad rap for no reason over a personal vendetta, but a way forward here is that there's a lot of options on the table. Mm. Steve Scalise has thrown his name into the ring. I believe that Whip Emmer is supporting Scalise uh, you know, in, in, in that fashion. You also have Kevin Hearn, who's throwing his hat into the ring and as well uh, as a delegation member of mine, Jim Jordan, uh, who's out there. And I believe that there's a dark horse. And I believe that dark horse, and he's going to just rip my face off for saying this, so God bless me, Patrick McHenry, mm -hmm. um, I believe is a dark horse who could possibly run this conference and do a heck of a job leading it with a conservative agenda and having friends in every corner. Interesting you say that. Uh, he had sort of a viral moment when he was in you know, the speaker's chair with the gavel. Yeah. the other day yeah. where he sort of slammed the thing down which i just loved i loved and i think it was sort of a great uh demonstration of the frustration that's happening in our conference right now in the house it's just well if you're patrick and i know you know patrick i mean how would you ever want to receive that job in the way that he did just received it by one of his best friends in congress yeah i mean that has to be one of the most gut-wrenching things that where you're appointed to a position but one of your best friends has to take a back seat and there's no way out uh i i loved his frustration i think he's a great leader i think he can do a great job with the conference and i think people should keep on mentioning his name because he can take us to greater heights and i believe that we can, can still move on with our conservative agenda make no mistake we're not done in congress we're still fighting i mean yeah, yeah. this is a wrinkle that we didn't expect to happen, but it doesn't deter somebody like me. I mean, we're here every single day. And if it was up to me, I would keep us here and I would start voting for a speaker right now. So so what do you think the timeline will be on all of this? I think the timeline is going to be that Tuesday we'll meet in conference. It's my hope that we will go over conference rules again before we vote uh, on new leadership altogether because that's what's going to happen. And then once we come up with consensus candidates, then we will go on the floor and vote for a new speaker. But look, I don't think anyone's a front runner. I think we could be doing this for a number of weeks right now until everything flushes out, unfortunately. Wow. There, there is no consensus pick. I mean... Matt did this without a pick. With no plan. With no plan. Underpants no support. <laughs> and once again, I hate to just reiterate the same points I've been making. 96% of the Republican conference stood behind one man. Yeah. Right? 4% stood behind one other individual. Ronald Reagan said, if you're my friend 85% of the time, you're one of my best friends you have. Well, if I think if you hit 96% and you're an actual team player and care about the people who actually sent you here for you to represent, yeah. then... Kevin McCarthy would still be speaker. So you mentioned it a little bit earlier, your preconditions, you know, increasing that threshold for the motion to vacate the chair, 
um, you know, changing up things with the steering committee and all of that. I'm curious if you've gotten a sense from, you know, other rank and file members and, and whatnot, if if they're going to be holding these candidates for the job of speaker, the same sort of preconditions, or do we end up in a in a place where all of these people are tripping over themselves to offer uh, those eight, our four loco uh, eight, uh, the same deal that put us in this position in the first place? Well, I'm going to say something that I was told not to say. Let's go. Let's go. Um, and I was actually really told not to say this. Um, this is going to upset a lot of people and a lot of friends of mine. It's my belief that we need all new leadership within the Republican conference. I believe that Kevin did a phenomenal job with what he's done, but I think that we need new representation to lead this conference. The Kevin McCarthy chapter of being speaker, he did a phenomenal job, and I will never back down from that. But unfortunately, that last chapter is closed. And I believe in order to move the Republican conference in the best way forward is all new leadership that can't be tainted or can't be thrown at with other allegations by the 8 or 21 saying you cut backroom deals with Kevin. Okay. And I think that this could be a chapter that we could close and move forward to a new version of Congress and a conservative agenda. I mean, look what Patrick McHenry did as his first action. He, he went ahead and he kicked Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi out of their ceremonial offices within the Capitol. Right away, he's taking the right conservative actions to set him up for a great coalition in order to run a great conservative Congress. I want to see that agenda. He's somebody who I trust, and I believe that we can, can still achieve the incremental wins we've been achieving throughout this Congress, right. but no one that's wants the, to give us any that's credit. That's the craziest part of the whole thing we've put fucking W's on the board and everybody's bitching. Yeah, do you want to know why everyone's bitching and do you want to know how many W's we put on the board? Because people within our own Republican Party put targets on the backs of people like me yeah. and make it harder for me to do my jobs when I go home. You know, I represent an R7 and I represent one of the largest Ukrainian constituencies also with rural counties down beneath, down below us, right? Yeah. Three rural counties. I have to strike that balance. That's my constituency. Those are my family members. That's how I look at it, right? right. But you have to go in and you have to talk to him about the tough conversations and not back away from these things. And so when we go into these communities and we talk to them and we're very forthright, they absolutely get it. But we need to be doing that across the board. I mean, we really have an opportunity here to close this chapter, to look to a new chapter and for new Republican leadership to take the reins. And I honestly think that that's the way, the best way forward. And I think that's really how you're going to coalesce the most amount around to support around one person. Interesting. It's very interesting. Okay, so... Oh, I know that's going to get me in hot, hot trouble there. Oh, I will. You know, that's what we do here on the show. You yeah, know? That's I know. part of the I'm reason specifically you told not to uh, give my my true thoughts on that topic, but I got to tell you I something. Think we're the I think right now is the time for everybody to lay, it, lay their cards on the table. Well, here's the thing. I'm very... Look, I don't have a filter, but the way that I look at this is we did a phenomenal job with the leadership we have in place, and they did a phenomenal job all supporting Kevin McCarthy. Mm -hmm. My concern is with the 8 or 21 that we still have... With they're the always going to find a way. And they're always going to find a way yeah. to say something about poor Tom, poor Elise, poor guy, you name it. They're always going to have a dig at them saying, you worked with Kevin to screw right. us over. I think it's the only way that we can move beyond this and to actually get real work done and not play stupid political games like what these guys are doing. Yeah, it's interesting. That's upsetting. Yeah. Um... So I can't get you out of here because you spent so much time with Donald Trump and, you know, director of advance, which like guy did some incredible events. Hats off to you, pal. Thank you. Uh, and the whole, you know, team that did all hey, that stuff. That Daytona racetrack when the beast went around for yeah, the first time, right? Daytona 500 in history. I'm not going to do a little bit of bragging. <laughs> May have been your boy right here. All right. So no, very proud of that moment. I got to ask you in all your time, uh, you know, doing that job. 
what's what's your favorite Trump Trump story? Well, I can go with a funny one, or I can go with a more serious one that I think a lot of people wouldn't expect. Um, okay. So why don't we do that one? Okay. So I'm sitting in a meeting in the Oval Office dining room, and we're going over the different trips that he's taking, work with the White House military office and Secret Service, and, and working everything out and drop dates. Then all of a sudden, the cabinet secretary walks in. And so immediately, I'm pushing back my seat. I'm yeah. like, hey, boss, yeah. I'm out of here. Good to see you. Right. And he's like, where are you going? And I'm like... <laughs> I got to get all this work done. We've got all these trips I got to plan. If I don't do this, I'll be here till 2 a.m. And he's like, don't worry. Okay, just take that seat right there. You, so I took the seat. This is a really right? good Trump, by the way. You're, yeah. you're pretty good at it. I'm playing with fire a bit, but I love the guy. He loves me. We're going to be okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, he, and so I sit through this meeting, right? 45 minutes goes by with President Trump. So the cabinet secretary leaves. I'm still trying to get out of there because I've got my own work to do. It's going to keep me there till forever. And he looks at me again and he's like, where are you going? Okay, just take that seat. And so I take the seat. And do you want to know what he did? Hmm. For the next 30 minutes, and he looked at me and he said, for the next 30 minutes out of my day as the president of the United States, I'm going to take down and go over every decision that I just made for the country with this one individual. And I just sat back and I said, why? And he said, because I trust you, you're loyal, and I want to impart everything that I can onto you because I think you have potential. Um, and that was one of the coolest moments. And that's you know something about Donald Trump that you don't hear a lot about. But that is the man that I worked with. And look, I stuck with him for six years. There's a reason why I stuck with him for six years. It, because, it, it may be because I'm missing part of my brain and I'm crazy, or it's because I really enjoyed the job and working for a great man who treated me very well. Uh, there are some funny stories. We were in India. Uh, he looked at me and he said, what do you think we should play, okay? And I was like, dude. <laughs> Played I by have, music? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I got no idea what you should. And he looked at me and he's like, it's got to be the YMCA. And I'm like, Mr. President, the YMCA, we're, we're in India with, you know, half a million Indians. Do you think they know what the YMCA is? And he looked at me and he's like, everyone knows. Okay. <laughs> so I'll never forget the guy walks on stage with uh, Prime Minister Modi. Then all of a sudden, President Donald John Trump is walking out to YMCA and all you see is half a million Indians, YMCA. And like, I'm dreading when he's walking off the stage. And he looks at me and he's like, I told you so. Okay. Yeah, he just completely <laughs> owned it. And then he said something else I can't repeat. But, uh, you know, it's just, he was a great guy. He took good care of us and so many great stories. But I guess one of the scariest ones was North Korea yeah. um, when we went over there for six hours to negotiate with them, which was wild. Um, they picked us up at the DMZ. We drove 45 minutes in country with just a couple of us negotiating the historic meet between President Trump and Kim Jong-un over yeah. the DMZ. Just wild times. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. What an experience, though. It's it, It's been absolutely tremendous. Although, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, if you were to ask me, because people made the, the, the Trump White House seem extremely chaotic, right? Mm -hmm. It's nothing compared to Congress. Yeah. Not even close. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. We always have three questions here on the Ruthless Variety program that we ask all of our guests. We can't get you out of here without answering these questions. The first one, if you could plan your last meal on Earth what would it be? Ah, super easy. I'd go with a New York strip Pittsburgh rare with a side of Bernays and some Brussels sprouts. Nice. Oh, no yeah. starch, just the Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I'm trying to slim down. I gotta yeah, but it's your last meal. Ah, last meal, fine. You know what we'll do? Some potatoes al gratin and some lobster mac and cheese. There we go. Right. Now we're talking. We'll fill it in. Now we're talking. Yeah. All right. So, you know, blue sky, you never got involved in politics. You didn't work for President Trump uh, and you didn't get into into Congress. What would you have done with your life? 
Without question, I would be working with my father, who owns a small hat manufacturing company in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and, and um, you know, he gets government contracts for CBP. He actually makes some caps that are uh, in the Capitol right now. Wow, really? Uh, he started this business in 1984. He's one of the very few last American hat manufacturers that are all built, sewn, and assembled within the United States. And my brother works there right now, and it's actually he's the smart one. Uh, yeah. he, he went in to actually make a good money and be an entrepreneur. Uh, but we're doing this for the people. That being said, uh, that's what I would have done. And I would have been just as happy doing that yeah. as anything else. Yeah. Is that in, uh, it's in Cleveland and Shaker. You're in, you're from Shaker Heights, right? I am from Shaker. I okay. live in Rocky River, but my father's company is actually downtown Cleveland, uh, right on 30th and Carnegie. Very cool. Yeah. It re- it's right by the, uh, the, uh, progressive stadium. So it's really cool, oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Now this is the important one. It's sort of a psychological question. Oh boy. Uh, you know, Everybody who's successful, we think, in in life or in business or in politics is motivated by one of two things, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Nobody likes losing. Everybody loves winning. But it's what drives you to succeed as an individual. Agony of defeat. (laughs) He doesn't even need the full thing. You don't even need to go through the spiel. I love the show. I'm a thousand percent a minion. Here's, Here's the deal. The way that I'm wired is that I will work as hard as I possibly can never to lose. Yeah. No one will ever outwork me. I mean, that's what I pride myself on, on being a Marine and through my work ethic within, you know, the the public sector and throughout my entire life is that I may not, never be the smartest guy in the room, but I promise you something. Do you feel like I'll it's a Midwest you. thing? I think it's also sort of a Midwest I, thing. I, I do. It's a work ethic thing. Yeah. And, and do you want to know, I want to tell you a quick story why I need to feed. So when I was younger, my father, if I ever wanted anything in life, when I was six years old, We'd go into a CVS, or back then it was a Rite Aid or a Revco, and he would say, hey, Max, do you want that Hot Wheels car? And I'd look at him and I'd say, yeah, Pop, I'd love it. And he said, okay, do you know what you need to do in order to earn that Hot Wheels car? What he would do is he would give me the option to drive me down to his work on 30th and Carnegie at six years old to take a punch card, to punch in for 30 minutes and to punch out, to show me the value of a dollar. So to answer your question, yes, it's a Midwest thing. Yes, it's a work ethic thing. That's how we were raised. So Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. That is an incredible answer, man. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's true. So, yeah. um, if people want to follow along with what you're doing, they want to help you out, where do they go? Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at MaxMillerOH. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm also at RepMaxMiller. Uh, and then any social media, is, uh, our campaign would be VoteMaxMiller.com. And then it would be Max.House.Miller.gov uh, for our official side. But, you know, everything that we've been seeing all together – I know it's been a choppy couple of weeks, but there's one thing that I know, and that this is the United States of America, and real patriots like you and I and everyone in this room don't back down from the chaos that we see ahead of us. We don't think that maybe there's a lot of opportunity ahead, but we need to we need to come together as a country and to repair this, and we need to get these guys in our conference to come together in a very just simple, pragmatic way to say, here's how we can have incremental wins and get Donald Trump back in in 2024 or a Republican president. I'm obviously supporting Trump. That being said, my concern is what Gates has done, and I, I don't want to keep on tying it back to him, but you know, he's going to cost us the majority. He could possibly cost us the Senate that we won't get back in 10 years and the presidency from Joe Biden, who can barely manage to get himself up in the morning. And so when we talk about all of these issues, they're incredibly serious and it just pains me, um, you know, and it actually is really sad and deflating that we have a member of our party and a few of them that would vote with more Democrats to house the yeah. Republican speaker. I mean, it's just troubling. I felt pretty bad about the whole thing, but this conversation with you makes me feel a little bit better. 
Oh, dude. Feels like like with 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 folks like you in Congress who are fighting for this stuff, that there is a silver lining to all of this. That we have a way through it all. Oh, without question, what everyone should remember at every step of the way. We're the United States of America. I understand Joe Biden's our president. I understand he makes us look weak on the national stage. But I can tell you as a United States Marine that if we ever needed to go anywhere, that we would bring the boom. And we still are the world's largest superpower. Never forget that. What we're trying to do is to make sure that we are still the world's largest superpower and to make sure Biden doesn't take that down like he's doing with our economy, our border, supply chains, and everything else that he's touched. He's the opposite of King Midas. Yeah. Everything he he touches turns to shit. And it's... (laughs) sucks yeah congressman thank you so much for coming on today no thank you guys and please enjoy the four locos for my crazy colleagues (laughs) i'm gonna keep on sipping this one i hope you guys have a great day well ladies and gentlemen incredible guest max miller just the sort of person you want in studio the day after a motion to vacate the speaker's chair to come give an insider opinion of what comes next And I wish we didn't have to do an episode like this. I got to tell you, when we were thinking about recording this episode, it was like, what's even the point? Everyone's so down. But I think that's why we do this show, is to give you an inside look of what really matters that you don't hear from anybody else. That's why we love doing the show. And that's why we hope you're back here on Tuesday. I think it was a banger. And I I think we did it. So, until next time, Minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.